Hey guys, it's John here with another movie fix, part of your not episodes from the Bag and Boardcast, and I am here with me. I'm Chris, also from the Bag and Boardcast, here with the movie fix, part yeah. of our not episodes from the Bag and Boardcast. Number two, <laughs> number two. Uh, we did it, John. We made yeah. it. Yeah, and this we are not going to be reviewing a movie for this one. Uh, episode. One of season two of Mandalorian has come out. So Chris and I are going to chat about that. We texted really briefly the night it came out. Um, but yeah, this is going to be well, our conversation. Reason, reason for the brief texting is because we were waiting for Paul to say that he had watched it. Because I didn't want to say anything that spoiled it. Because I didn't know if he had watched it or how far along in the episode he was. Because, man, there's some big stuff that comes out of this episode that people were like supposing and looking forward to in season one of Mandalorian. So man, I'm just glad we finally got some more teases. Uh, yeah. And we were going to do it under a, uh, the Disney all watch thing that they do with the, where you can watch together. But then like you just watch that together. And if somebody pauses it, it pauses on yours too. There's no like, Oh, we can talk through this while we're watching it. Which I don't think any of us would really talk, but no, yeah. If there was like a lobby thing, we would have talked before and we would have talked after. And Paul was like, "Well, grab your laptop because you can only do the all watch on the app, not on your oh, TV." Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, what's what's the? Yeah, I'm not going to do that then. So then, if I have a TV. I'd rather watch it on that than my exactly. And you could share it, like you can share it to your TV if you have a smart TV. But then Paul is like have skype open and we can talk and i was like well i'm not gonna watch it on my phone or send it to from my phone to my tv and then have a laptop open on skype so you and i could see each other watching it and talk to each other like let's just watch it on our own it would probably be, <laughs> probably make the most sense um at least that's how we understand the disney all watch thing we might be wrong i don't know but uh, we couldn't figure it. We, that's what we figured it out with. It doesn't sound uh, that wrong. No. Um, but we all, the two of us have watched it. We watched it the, the night it came out on that Friday. Uh, and we'll talk about that right after we talk about our first beer. Yeah. And uh, I texted Chris and said, hey, you, get, you probably get New Belgian beers where you are. I'm drinking I their do. new I'm drinking their that new was, sour. That was me texting John back. I do! Exclamation point, smiley face, beer emoji. Uh, And this is, they have this four-pack, quote-unquote, high-end sour series that they just started. This is the second beer in it. Uh, And this is a blackberry tea sour. So this is a fruited tea that they aged in oak fooders Um, and this is okay this definitely up front tastes like a really slightly tart strong raspberry tea that then on the back end has this oaky barrel kind of finish it's it, it's interesting. It almost tastes like you had like a a blackberry tea. Um, what are those fermented teas called? The um, oh, I can't know. think of them now. The Asian teas they're fermented. Everybody drinks them. Your mom drinks them. I think oh, your mom the makes them. The, the kombucha. kombucha. Yeah. Okay. So it almost tastes like a kombucha just without that really... Like the fizzy? Yeah. Um, it's okay. I don't mind sipping off of it, but it wouldn't be the thing that I want to drink all night. Or even a mm-hmm. whole can of. Uh, I'm right there with you, because I was not able to find the New Belgium blackberry sour but i tried to find the next best thing uh so from prairie artisan ales i have their punch which is a sour ale with blackberry cherry and lime 
Uh, 5% ABV. I just picked up the, a one can of this because it was available in the beer store single sections. And I'm glad I just got the one can of it. Because it's almost like you had taken kind of like a sweet, like kind of tart red wine. Because it has like a little bit of dryness to it. Put some ice cubes in it. The ice cubes melted. You just put it back in the fridge to keep it cool. And then brought it out like three hours later. It's not bad, but there's no like effervescence to it. It's just kind of like a flat, dry blackberry sour ale and it's not bad i mean i'll i'll finish this but the only other stuff i've had from prairie was like the christmas bomb that you sent me last year or the year before sure. which was absolutely fantastic like that was my christmas eve beer like as i was sitting around playing games waiting uh waiting to get sleepy enough to go to sleep um that's all, that beer will do it too because it's 13 percent uh I was still happy because I had a great beer, and that night I got one of the final pieces my Warlock needed for for an Ember set. So, hey, thank you. That's part of, part of my Christmas wish. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it's just not bad. And, sadly, for my – you sent me two from Prairie because there was Christmas Bomb and something else. I can't remember. It might have been Birthday Bomb or just, might... or just <clears throat> Bomb. Might have been. I can research. It, oh, but I'm not you going know what? To. Was it the coconut? Um, was now it the I have to research one? it. Let me see. Um, well, as he does that, I'm going to crack open my other beer that I was going to drink because this is the one I'm going to really enjoy. Uh, and this is from Fiddlehead Brewing, and this is uh, Fiddlehead IPA, six point two percent. And this is like mixing like what you loved about those old school West Coast IPAs and mixing them and balancing them really well with kind of the new haziness with a little bit of juiciness. But I, this beer is like what I remember flower power tasting like, Chris. Mm-hmm. This is what I remember that beer to be like. Just that beer that I loved drinking. You put a flower power in front of me, I would drink it no matter what. And this is the second time that I've I've brought I've bought this beer and it's it's going to be just my fridge filler. Like I love just having this on hand. It's got the perfect amount of bitterness, but it's still really smooth. And I really just I I really like drinking this beer. Um, it's just so well balanced and everything. And I think if I could send this to you, Chris, I think you would really like it too. It's one of those beers though. It's got to stay cold. So if it got warm, it just wouldn't be at its level, but maybe, maybe when you, next time you come back up, I will, uh, force you to drink this in front of me and tell me how good it is. I mean, if you compare it to old school flower power, you won't need to force me to drink it. And finally got uh, untapped to open up. And you were correct. The other one that you sent me was Birthday Bomb. Okay. Which I, I put that one at like a 4.25 as well because they were both fantastic. Um, I'm going to wait a little bit before I talk about my next beer because I just pounded the last of the, the Prairie Punch. So I'll come back to this one because I'm just also really excited to finally get to talk more about Mandalorian Season 2's first episode, Chapter 9, The Marshal. Uh, yeah, and this was written and directed by John Favreau, who wrote and was the showrunner for the first season. So this is his first Mandalorian directing episode. And, um, I mean, it looks great. It has the exact feel of the first season. I almost feel like the they filmed like all of these almost all at once. Because it doesn't feel like they've missed a beat in the year that it's been since the first launch of The Mandalorian. Because what, it was November last year uh, that this came out? I can't remember because I know it was right on the heels of when Disney Plus launched. Which, which was, was September. at the beginning of November. 
No, was it was it, November. Okay, November. Yeah, so then November this... 9th, I want to say, was the worldwide release for it. Um, oh, I, I can just look it up right now. We, we could easily look it up. But yeah, uh, I agree. This picks up right where the last season left off, where the Mandalorian, a.k.a. Din Djarin, has been tasked with going to find more of the child's race, or the like the ancient sorcerers, the Jedi. Uh, so he follows some some clues and winds up back on Tatooine, a planet he had gone to in the first season, a planet we know all too well if you're a Star Wars fan, just from multiple movies going there, and then pretty much all the interesting stuff taking place on that planet. Uh, the, I mean, you're skipping past him going to the, the, the boxing, the crazy fight thing. Uh, because the the guy he goes to talk to this um, uh, mob like a, boss, yeah, like a cyclops kind of mob boss alien, uh, voiced by John Leguizamo. And when I heard that voice, I recognized. I didn't know who it was. But I was like, oh, I know that voice from somewhere. Lo and behold, as soon as the credits roll, I was like, Oh, John Leguizamo. John Leguizamo. Yes, I. It was the same way. I was like, Oh, I wonder if they just got one of the voice actors from. Uh, Rebels or Clone Wars because it just was one of those voices I've just known it, you know. Yeah. Uh, and the um, where the, I want to say Gamorrean guards, but uh, yeah. is that who? Or, yeah, yeah, the the Gamorreans kind of like doing like the boxing match with their uh, vibro with, axes. Yeah. Uh, fun, fun, <laughs> fun to watch. I loved seeing that. Um, you know, it's interesting. Is like. Even with the original Star Wars movies, you have, like, everything's kind of, like, bright and clean with the Empire. The Rebels' bases aren't as much. But you don't see the dark side of this universe, really. And it's fun <laughs> seeing side. those. It's <laughs> fun. It's fun. It's, that's fine. It's fun seeing those things. So this underground boxing match... Um, it was just really fun to see. And then for them to go back onto Tatooine, again, it's a planet you've seen before in the movies, and you've seen it before in the series, but it looks it looks great. It looks vast, especially now that we know how they film the series yeah. and the fact that it's just big screens that they're performing in front of. Like, it's really amazing how they make it look like they're really there. And like that first scene where they're, he's going to the boxing arena and they're walking. If you had told me that that is all done with screens and they're not really there, I would totally believe you. But if you told me on Tatooine that all that stuff wasn't there, I'd be like, you're, you're a liar. That's not, that's not true. Uh, he's in the desert. I can see it. It's right there. And that's the thing. Like, if you're a fan of Star Wars and The Mandalorian, which you should be because it's fantastic, if you haven't gone onto Disney Plus and watched the making of documentary series that they have, that's almost as engaging and engrossing as the actual show is just to see all the attention to detail and the effects and the technology and the love that went into the first season of the show. And what it seems like we're going to be getting in the second season as well. It's the... I went back and rewatched the first season in the lead up to season two coming out, and now seeing some of those episodes that I saw how they did things in the behind the scenes clip, I did exactly what you were saying. Where it's like, okay, I I see the canyon that he's walking down when he gets attacked by the Trandoshans. I know that's all just like. LCD or LED screens behind them. It looks so good, though. Absolutely. And, uh... I don't know. I forget what the point I was going to make was. It's gone. But that's Sorry. okay. It's no, you're show. fine. It Yeah. Oh, um... Watching the making of gave me such more appreciation for the series when they were showing all those clips or when they'd show something and I'd finish one of those episodes and they talked about a certain episode, 
I'd go back and I'd watch that episode again and watch it with more love than I had before because I just watched those people talk about how they did it or what they did and them talking about how excited they were for everything that was happening in it made it even better. And I think that's just the thing that makes this show shine is these are made by people who are Star Wars fans. They're written by Star Wars fans. And you can tell that every bit of it has love and they're paying respect to that universe and those characters in it. And we get a lot of drawing from that first season and that wider universe right in this episode. And there's some fun things that happen in this episode. Um, Not only do we go back to Tatooine, but we get to see Amy Sedaris's character from, I forget which episode it was, uh, in the first season. Uh, Her name, Pelimoto, or Pelimato, they don't actually say her name, but again, this is Star Wars, so every single character no matter how much screen time they have, has a name and a completely fleshed out backstory. Uh, actually really liked getting to see her again. And the first time I watched the first season, when they were planning on making their kind of power play with Grief Karga and Cara Doom, and the Mandalorian mentions like, oh, well, I have someone that can watch the baby while we go to this. I was hoping they were going to go back to uh, <laughs> Tatooine to pass him off to her again because she's just such... A great, fun character. So seeing her again in this first episode made me so happy. And the fact that she has R5-D4, the astromech (laughs) droid that Luke and Uncle Owen were going to buy at the beginning of A New Hope, who had the bad motivator, so instead they bought R2-D2, is just like that chef's kiss icing (laughs) on the cake. Like, such fun attention to detail. And as a Star Wars fan who's grown up with not just the movies, but the comic books, the action figures, the video games, the novels, the expanded universe novels, all of this, like seeing them draw from that history shows that like, no, like this is something that matters to them. Uh, jumping ahead a little bit, the fact that when you later on meet the Marshal Cobb Vanth and he's kind of telling his story to the Mandalorian and he grabs the canto uh, out of like the bandits uh, like speeder and it's the same thing that uh, Werner Herzog keeps the Beskar in which is the same thing that you see in Cloud City that someone's running through the halls with as the Empire's taking over it turns out it's an ice cream maker that's a huge <laughs> deal to like Star Wars fans because people cosplay as that random dude that was running through the halls of Bespin with an ice cream maker that's actually a container like and i forget what can what convention it is but they have the running of whatever that thing's called and people uh, dress up as our celebration and they have they have races uh with it yeah it's it's great it's a great callback to those to the lore and love of star wars uh but so leading ahead we, we wind up back on tatooine where we know Boba Fett had been seen previously, so that's kind of that 800-pound elephant in the room where it's like, okay, well, there's reports of a Mandalorian on Tatooine, and it leads him to this small city that's basically been wiped off the maps. And I did not expect to see Timothy Oliphant in uh, Star Wars, but man, I got some big Deadwood vibes from this, and I am not complaining about that oh. at all. Because <laughs> uh, the bartender the bartender is Earl Jones Haley or whatever his name is, who is in Deadwood with him. Really? It's, yeah, it's the guy who was like uh, Schwarzenegger's like second hand. Yeah, like the, the kind of like enforcer guy. Yeah. Really? Uh, oh, see, I name? that one that one snuck past me. Uh, w Earl Brown. Uh, yeah. So it's like it's fun. It's those two in a western together again. Um, yeah, the guy with the mustache. Yeah, he, there he is. Yeah, he plays the bartender. Nice. Uh, I knew that Timothy Oliphant was was in. Um, I'm going to say Oliphant, like that. I know it's not exactly how his name is pronounced, but that's just how I say it. it that's what that's I do. Fine. Um, 
I knew that he was in this. I didn't know what character he was playing. But as soon as they panned up and they showed him wearing the uh, Boba Fett armor as the marshal, I was like, oh, fuck, it's Timothy Oliphant. Like, I knew right away. Just He's got that, like, swagger that he was standing in that doorway. And I was like, oh, it's him. And what I absolutely love about this is he's definitely bigger than Boba Fett. Because the armor is like a belly shirt on him. And I was even like, you can see his chin sticking out from the helmet. I was like, it it doesn't fit him right. And I love that, like, attention to detail that it's like, oh, yeah, he's just wearing somebody else's armor. And he's too big for it. And as soon as you see that armor, it's so reminiscent of Boba Fett, but they kind of play it off in a way where it's a little bit more shadowed and you're seeing it where he has like that red kind of bodysuit on underneath it so it looks a little bit off in the colors and, he's and as scarf. he's sitting like it, yeah it's like it's like acid eaten away so as he's sitting down i'm like is that it like it looks like it i'm like well there's the dent on the helmet the like the shoulder pauldron's yellow like he's got the like that kind of leaf that. pattern on the side like and he's got I'm that little to, bullet hole ricochet off the armor on the front like i'm i'm piecing it together because i'm like yeah it it is it has to be but they're they're not gonna they're not gonna dwell on this at all right like this is just he has it they're not gonna tell the story oh okay they they are telling the story okay i like this which opens up a bigger mystery that we'll get some answers on a little bit later in the episode um it was a lot of fun like watching this episode and then just seeing the two of them at odds with each other because he's the marshal of this small town. He swore to save them, protect them. The only way he's been able to do that is having this armor, but, you know, Din Djarin, he needs that armor back. It, it doesn't belong to him. He's not a Mandalorian. Uh, and then just the deal they work out is going to take them up against one of the biggest threats that we know about in Star Wars that's not you know Empire or Death Star related it's it's a crate Dragon which we've heard of we've seen the skeleton of in Tatooine when uh, R2 and 3PO are like wandering through the deserts uh, but this is the first live one we actually get to see and like holy crap like awesome I was getting big like Dune vibes off of it too isn't I might be mistaken, but isn't the noise that Obi-Wan makes in New Hope to scare them off, isn't that supposed to be the noise of a crate dragon? Yes, it is. Yeah. So, I mean, seeing what it can do to a sand person, <laughs> I, I get them running away from from Luke's speeder. Even though they, if they had just looked over their shoulder, they probably would have seen Obi-Wan like shuffling over, over that with rock. It, with his, bag, <laughs> his like, baggy things. His baggy hands going up yeah. in the air. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's it's definitely one of those things you've heard about, and uh, it's one of those great things because, in essence, Mandalorian is a western. So that thing of like, "Whoo, I'll give you what you need, but you're gonna need to help me," is just one of those great like western elements that are just what make this show great, and then. Um, after watching it and everything, it popped up in like an article like, "Who is uh, who is Cobb?" So I clicked on it and I'm reading about it. He's a character that has appeared in the previous novelizations. So he's a character that has existed before this show. That again, they took his story of this guy who's a marshal in a town, which feels weird that they're stuck in the aftermath books. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's only reading the things that it's like, oh, he's just like in these weird chapters in between chapters in the stories. It's like they wrote him for that just so people would have an idea who he is when he appears in the show. Like, uh, no well, one else is book, thinking uh, about using Cobb Vance for, 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 for this. But I think that's where this being kind of a labor of love from everyone involved in it. This is one of those things that they draw from because he did appear in the 2015 uh, Star Wars novel Aftermath. 
Uh, and from what I was able to gather, because I think I saw some like a similar article uh, where he was like a martial on Tatooine that kind of came across this armor. In the book, it plays it very like low key, like oh, like Jawas had Mandalorian armor. He he got it. Uh, and we do see a different version of that scene play out when he's kind of telling the Mandalorian his you know quote unquote origin story. I think it's awesome that this book that is officially part of canon because it was written after the Disney Lucasfilm purchase and they kind of made known what they think matters and should remain the stuff like not just the original movies but then like the Clone Wars and Rebels cartoons Uh, this novel is a part of it so just having him appear in the show kind of you know gives more credence to those novels and the fact that anyone you see in those books now can have a bigger role in this universe. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I want to point out with this show being a Western, in a Western you're going to have cowboys, which are like the Marshall, the Mandalorian, but with cowboys you're going to have Indians, and that's who the Sand People are. Yeah. It's it's so interesting how they talk with the hand signals how people call them savages, how people treat them. I I was like, oh my gosh, like it's so it like it like blew my mind that they took these characters that appeared briefly in those Star Wars movies and then made them work in a way that fits into this western that I don't think Lucas thought of at the time when he made that. But it just—he he didn't. <laughs> I, it, it just and it just works so well in this that I have a new appreciation for for them. Uh, hot take: I think Mandalorian does space western better than Firefly. Oh, yeah. And I love Firefly, but this straight up this this is a western. They just happen to have thermal detonators. Uh, and the spaceships. other thing too, I really I I really liked about this is. Not a ton of Baby Yoda. He's there. He pops up. No, hey, I'm still here. And then he disappears while they keep like they're actually doing stuff. And yeah, they use him sparingly, which I think is a smart move because I'm a little bit worried about how they handle the child in this season. Because I think by the time they did start filming this one, like the first season had already started airing or it might have even finished airing because there was a photo that John Favreau had put up on his Instagram and it was the concept art of the Gamorians that were going to be like sparring in like the very first scene of the show where he was like oh working on season two now and that was kind of like a whoa okay we're getting to get more moment so I think at that point they already knew how big that this character was going to become so that they were able to scaled back on his use so much in the first episode when he's one of the probably few things keeping (laughs) Disney afloat in our current pandemic universe with just like the merchandising stuff yeah like you could have done a lot worse with him and I think this is definitely a less is more type situation Uh, yeah and so premise of the show is the Mandalorian and uh, Cobb go to hunt down this dragon. Turns out to be bigger than they think it is. They have that great moment where they team up a little bit with the um, the Tusken Raiders. And then they end up having to go back to the town and bring the town back to all of them help fight together. And then you have all these people trying to kill the dragon. They're they're doing that thing where they dig the big hole and they're putting the dynamite in it and then they're burying it. Like, they're like yeah. baiting it out with banthas, which I really love um, that. And then they have that great moment where Man- the Mandalorian says to Cobb, like, can you get his attention? And we get to see him use the rocket launcher for the second time. And the, the best thing in the world is when he's like, uh, hey, take care of the kid if I don't make it. And then he does the move that that they do to to kill Boba Fett, where he just hits the side rocket and he shoots off. 
And then, you know, he gets swallowed and he get you know, he he blows him up from the inside and he escapes. Which is great. Uh and I loved every moment. But I love the fact that he hits the jet and sends him flying. It's just a great callback. And again, like the love and appreciation to this series that makes it shine. Now you can always find some type of fault with this here or there, this or that, with every episode. Oh, I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to do that because there's one more thing that I need to mention. And while they're kind of racing across the Dune Sea, and you have the Mandalorian on a speeder bike that he gets from uh, Pelimato, you have Cobb Vamp flying on a pod <laughs> racing engine that just has like a side seat on it. As soon as I saw that, I'm like, oh, yeah, this fucking show is great. So, yes, go ahead. Try to prove me wrong. What's wrong with, uh, with this episode? Why wasn't he wearing time? the helmet where he, when he drove? Because he got, had to have him. Because he, cause he uh, wanted he's, to he's a, talk. He's, he's a weathered man, and they just want people to bask in that delicious Tim, right? Timothy Oliphant. Uh, no, I agree. But I, it would have made sense that he would want to wear that helmet while he was driving, right, in the sand. Uh, no, and what I was gonna, what I was going to say is, in the second, in the first season, there was those episodes where you're like, "Oh, it was strong, but it wasn't as my favorite." Uh, I can pick and choose, like, "Oh, I like this," or "I didn't like that." You can do that. In this episode, I think the only thing, like, and I mentioned it briefly to you when we were texting, like, it feels like they're retreading a little bit, going back to Tatooine, bringing back uh, the character that you'd met the last time they had went. But it wor- it works. Like it's. If you, I don't know. If you really want to pick things apart, you can. But I'm enjoy. I've I've enjoyed the ride of the the first season, without really having too many naysays or, uh, and with this one too. Like that was my only thing. I was like uh, I would have liked to have seen him go somewhere else. But I like what this episode was. So I appreciate them going back to Tatooine, going back to the Western planet. And I, th- I think that they did need to go back there because it does start to pick up on those Mandalorian slash Boba, thre- uh, Boba Fett threads because after they wind up killing the crate Dragon, there's that truce with the Tusken Raiders. You get him, you know, on his way back over to uh, most Eisley to get his his ship back. And who do you have watching them from over the dunes but a now-aged and much more weathered Timura Morrison, again, appearing as who we can infer to be Boba Fett. Now, the last time he was on Tatooine is when they were hunting the the killer. It was him and that other guy who... uh, yeah, it was the uh, episode was called The Gunslinger. I don't remember what now, number it was. Now, at the end, the woman was there, and somebody approached her, and you don't see who it is. Are we to assume now that that could have been Boba Fett? That was a lot of people's assumptions when that episode aired. I think they could still possibly be leaving it open where it could have been him, but now that we have another you know, Star Wars known character with Cobb Vanth, they might be able to bring it in that it was him, but I I think strong possibility it could have been Boba Fett. And you could still have Fennec Shan out there somehow, like if he was able to save her. I mean, if this is Boba Fett, I mean, it's Timura Morrison. He's credited in the actual end of the credits because... When I saw him, I was like, oh, yeah, it has to be. And then once the credits rolled, they show his name over the concept art of him in the in the dunes there. I, I think it's a fair assumption at this point. And there could, you know, be some Star Wars. It could be bait and Rex. Where, oh, no, it's a, yeah. it's a different clone. Yeah, like, it, <laughs> they could pull that. And I'd be more than okay with that, too, like. Any of those options is I think there's a lot of people fine. in the Star Wars universe that have his face. <laughs> right. 
could be Commander Cody. Who knows? It's not Cody. Um, but it was a great first episode for a second season of a show that had a lot riding on it. Because if they didn't nail this re-entry into this corner of the Star Wars universe, it, it could have been very bad for them. Especially with all the hate that stuff like Solo has gotten. Mandalorian earned a lot of goodwill from fans and just regular viewers. Like I mentioned this over on Bag and Board, but my mom's a Star Wars fan in the respects that she likes the movies. She was on board from Mandalorian from the beginning. Like she watched every single episode as it was airing. She doesn't know about the expanded universe or the comics or the video games. Like a lot of that stuff would have no meaning at all for her. But Mandalorian, she loved it. So you risk alienating that kind of viewer with a a and bad first episode. When you when you think when the idea of what you're doing is well thought out and you put the right people in charge and you have somebody who's there to run the whole thing and make sure the story is cohesive, you have something good come out of that. And I I, for one, am one of those people who don't feel that that happened with the sequel trilogy or even the prequel trilogy. And in the end, you didn't have that with the original trilogy. Everything just worked out, you know, perfect for New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. And you can you can pick nits. You can you can pick apart those movies as well but in my opinion if they sat down to write the Skywalker trilogy which was the the last three movies that we got and if you sat down as one and had one person making sure everything was cohesive and continued the story that they began to tell I think you would have had a great trilogy but you had someone create it, you had another person come in and write and direct the next movie and then the person who wrote the movie following that and who was set to direct, you fired and had somebody else come back to rush job take ideas here or there from everyone else and then do a fan service film you're not going to have a, a great series, but if they sat down and wrote it episode uh seven eight nine all at one time and then moved some of the puzzle pieces around i think you would have had a better cohesive story than what we got and i think that's what man learn does well and i think they kind of have that they, i agree that's the blessing i think that they have especially because again watching that behind the scenes like docuseries you have a little bit more of this luxury doing a TV show than you do a movie, but everyone was there through every step of it. You might not have been directing, you know, episode four. You might have been doing episode number five, but you were still there when they were working on episode four. So you're able to get the feel and the thoughts behind things that when you weave it into yours, it's a little bit more cohesive than just okay, someone did this in their episode, now you're being brought in to do something else in yours. You lose that kind of through line through it. And even having someone like, you know, John Favreau being the showrunner, writing and directing this episode, bringing back a lot of the people from the first season to direct episodes in the second, you're going to keep things consistent. And you might have a little bit of weird differentness, and the big thing that I think is watching the first episode of season one, you know, done by Dave Filoni, and then you have the second episode, uh, Rick Famuyiwa. That second episode is so weird where they're hunting down a <laughs> bizarre hairy egg for Jawas. But it's not a completely different tonal shift or shift in storytelling. And I think just having everyone in the same room instead of, like you said, Hiring someone for one movie, hiring someone for a second, and not having any continuous work between them besides, you know, a story department overseeing it, it just becomes kind of a 
movie sequel pissing yeah. match at some point. Uh, I was, I've been counting down for this movie to come out or this show to start again, and um, I have some Star Wars fans who I work with, and I'd be like Paul, another a different Paul. Uh, I know two Pauls. You, you know two Pauls. Um, two Pauls. But it's like Paul, how, like, are you ready? And he'd be like, forty six days, dude. Forty six days. Like he also like. Some skateboard company was putting out, like, Star Wars decks and everything, and he missed, like, the New Hope or one of those ones, but he ended up, he he got all of the Mandalorian Season 2 boards that they made. Like, it made his day, like, I got the boards, two days, Mandalorian Season 2 starts. Like, but I would just, like, how many days? And he would just know off the bat because he was so excited for this. Now that the show has started, the thing that I am most excited about for this series is the Robert Rodriguez directed episode. Like, I'm just looking forward to what that guy's going to do with it, because I know what everyone else has done, and I know what can be done within this. But what he's going to do, I think, is going to be great. You're jumping ahead because I want to talk about my beer and then pose it to you. I was like, "Hey, so we saw the first part." Um, so I'm gonna sure. I'm just gonna pretend that didn't happen and talk about my next beer that I poured like again right at the beginning of this episode. Uh, Hidden Springs Ale Works. We've had them over on Bagging Board Prime. This is their Ezra the Lion. It's an IPA brewed with citra hops, uh, and then at the bottom it says, "This beer helps kids beat cancer. Proceeds benefit." BNB, uh, which stands for neuroblastoma, uh, driving childhood cancer clinical trials in over 45 hospitals. Uh, this is a delicious, great, kind of orange rindy IPA. Um, it's got that kind of pithiness to it. I, I really dig this. I only picked up one can of it. I had a four-pack in my hands. But then I was like, well, no, because I'm going to be buying other beer to have on the show. Like, I don't want to just buy more beer just to have in the fridge. I I wish I had picked it up now. I'm probably going to go back and grab that four-pack this weekend because even, like, the glass isn't next to me. And I'm getting, like, just that kind of orange. And there's a little bit of vanilla on the nose. It's kind of orange Julius-y. But it, it's not like an overwhelming like sweetness on the tongue, so it's more on the nose. But I, I'm really digging this IPA. This is fantastic. Um, Hidden Springs Ale Works. We've gone there collectively there. Uh, to try beers on the show. Uh, they're they're one of my favorite Florida breweries. It's them, Sideward, and I, even though I haven't been there, Funky Buddha puts out some really good sweet stuff. Angry too. Chair. Um, Ellipsis, Angry Share, Ellipsis. You know, Central Florida. You got some. We got some good beers. I look forward to finding out more. Uh, and something else I'm looking forward to finding out more about is what's going to be coming <laughs> next in the season. Uh, because again, we are recording this after the first episode come out. It's only a few more days until episode two. And John, I have to echo your statements because I'm looking forward to that Robert Rodriguez one a lot I think it's going to be really weird and action packed but I'm looking forward to him handling a sci-fi space gunslinger show I think this is something that's in his grindhouse I mean (laughs) wheelhouse Uh, Yeah. Uh, I I mean he can direct a a mean desperado you know El Mariachi's a (laughs) badass gunslinging character and him doing that with a Mandalorian it just makes sense and now that the first episodes come out we've had the ability to see what we had in the lead up trailer to the show and a lot of scenes from that trailer actually came from this episode and I think everything else we saw in episode it is two. actually to be coming from episode number two with you know him and a child on that ship you know over the a literal boat going over the water. Uh, Hooded that, woman. Um, 
the hooded woman who you said. Uh, is yeah, she's a she's a, a female wrestler. wrestler. Everybody Someone? thought it might have been um, Ahsoka Tana, who but, was gonna. But it, you know what? It, it might be possible that she could be playing the next Mandalorian in like his his search, which could possibly be uh, Sabine Sabine Wren from Star Wars Rebels because. That shin looks like it could belong to Sabine. So that would be kind of a cool thread to pick up on. Um, do you want to see more Boba Fett kind of trailing Din Djarin through his quest? Or do you want him just a little bit more sparingly? Like, maybe season three, they have to go back to Tatooine for something else, and he's there, and he's going to be, like, the next big thing. Or do you just not want to go back to Tatooine? Because again, like, I that's a honestly feel like I didn't need Boba Fett in this series at all. Um, and I don't, I don't mind that he showed up. Is it because he's not actually a Mandalorian? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a clone. He's, he's a clone. And even talk, there's talk that yeah, Jango Fett wasn't he even stole the armor. An actual Mandalorian. Uh, yeah. It. I don't like. Boba Fett is a cool character, baby feats as we call him. Um, but everybody loves Boba Fett. But he's he's, I mean, in, in the original trilogy, he's got that cool thing like no disintegration. But then he he does die like a bitch. Like he's not he's not a good character. The best things that Boba Fett has ever done is in the Clone Wars cartoon when you have like that awesome cartoon episode where they're on the train and he's trying to lead the other bounty hunters who are all better than him. And then he actually like loses a little bit of his ego. And when doing that, he actually is able to prevail in the end. Like that's the best Boba Fett story we've ever really gotten in anything, you know, um, throwback to the expanded universe, which is now legacy, whatever they call it. It doesn't matter. Um, in the Tales of the Bounty Hunter novels, you got a cool Boba Fett escaping the Sarlacc story, which, who knows, they might be able to draw some of that for Mandalorian or, like, the current kind because... of movie. Um, but yeah, that was always the cool thing about them, like... Boba Fett and the Mandalorians because they were a mystery. It was, again, like, less is more. The fact that he was used so sparingly made him cool, and as soon as you started seeing more of him just as a little kid, it's like, oh, okay, well... It's like Darth Vader, too, in the prequels. As soon as you start focusing on where the character came from, they're not as interesting or mysterious or cool anymore. You know, Darth Vader, fantastic villain. Anakin Skywalker, uh, yeah, kind oh, of a little hey, bit. Hey, Darth Vader, I saw you as an emo little uh, <laughs> little kid. Like it, it yeah, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that statement. And like in the expanded universe, like Boba Fett. He gets out of the Starlack pit, he rises through the top, and he runs like a bounty hunter guild, or he runs the Mandalorians, and he was like the thing that brought them back. So then seeing him as this scarred guy just walking through the desert, like, obviously they're not using that as canon whatever. But also, like, there's a, like, one of the Marvel comic issues is... There's an issue where Han Solo escapes from the Carbonite, and it's, and it's an issue after that where he tries to pay. He tries to pay for something, but he doesn't have any credits, even though he has credits because he's listed as dead. So then he has to go back to a bank on Tatooine to show that he's alive so he can get his credits and in that episode Boba Fett uh, has escaped from the Sarlacc pit is trying to kill Han Solo 
and he steals one of the Jawa's uh, vehicles, fights Han Solo on it, Han Solo escapes from it, and Boba Fett goes back into the Starlack pit in in that tank. So so bizarre. I was gonna say at the beginning, it, it sounds like it could be one of Paul's favorite books and something he would pick for the list when it's Han Solo just having to like go back to the bank with proof of identity. Um, but yeah, the rest of that just sounds sounds not good. Uh, yeah. It's 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 utterly bizarre. Uh, <laughs> so hopefully we get a better <laughs> we get a better uh, Boba Fett than the, those things. But since he's in it or quote unquote in it, I'd like to see where it goes. Obviously, the armor doesn't. It looks like the. It looks very very worn, and the. Boba Fett that we see looks extremely scarred, like he's been washed with acid. So, or that that character we see, we don't know it's Boba Fett. Um, but I, all right, if you're gonna put him in it, don't. I don't need him super teased anymore. He's got the armor. We saw a guy who we can assume is Boba Fett. Don't just tease it out. Give give it to me. And John, I'm excited to record more of these. So once we wrap up recording, I just need you to uh, figure out what you want to talk about next and just give it to me. Yeah, let's let's try to pick another uh, another movie, maybe another series, something like that. Let's let's do another one of these. These are fun. Yeah, we we like talking about movies. We like talking about TV shows. Yeah, we just like talking because we're friends. And we want to talk to you. We want you to talk to us. So email us over at uh, at gmail.com or comment on any of the social media stuff that you might see from us. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. Everything's underneath Bag and Board if you haven't found it and just somehow stumbled upon the show. Hey, thanks. Great yeah. And team. if you Thanks have an idea for something for uh, Chris and I to watch, make sure it's on a streaming platform that's easy for us to get to. And uh, we'll definitely try to watch it and talk about it. But look forward to our quote-unquote hidden movie fixes that are the uh, Marvel movie retrospectives. It's just fun to talk about stuff. Oops.